Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. The title for the series as a whole is called Journeys with God. The specific part that this sermon plays in us understanding what it means to journey with God is to help us to understand what it means to be called by God. Called by God. Now, I've never been called by anybody famous. I've met a few famous people, but I've never received a phone call from somebody famous. But I would imagine that if you were to receive a phone call from somebody famous, you would remember that day, because something specific would happen. Maybe some information would be communicated which would come with some gravitas, with some weight to it, that would change your day and change your experience. Something would happen from that point forward which would be different based on the call that you had received. I remember a few years ago when I was doing my graduate studies at Oxford University, one of the topics of conversation in the room where you would kind of gather, the common room as they would call it, although if it's Oxford it's not really that common. They wouldn't let commoners in there, apart from me. But one of the conversations that would go on is that, have you known somebody who's received a tap on the shoulder? And that was code for, have one of the intelligence services tapped on the shoulder of one of your friends and invited them to work for them? Because we had heard that if you went to Oxford or Cambridge, then it was a hunting ground for MI5 and MI6 to kind of pick some people out that they would feel suitable for one of the intelligence services, and they wouldn't finish the course, they would kind of disappear. I remember one guy on my course saying to me that he was studying in undergraduate Arabic over in Durham University, and he said, we started the class with 20 people, three years later we finished the, the class with about five people. The point being, all of those who could speak Arabic to a high level were of a, 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 a lot of use to the government at that particular time, as you, you might well imagine. So they had... Potentially, we, we were discussing whether somebody had received a call, an invitation, something to change your world from that point forward. And every great journey begins with something. Something happens, something changes, something comes about. And in the story of Moses that we're going to look at this week, the point in which we visit in Moses' story today isn't the beginning of his story but it's the turning point in his story where he receives a call, some instruction, some information from God that is going to change his life, and not just his life, but the experience of every Israelite who was in captivity. Such was the magnitude of the calling that Moses was, was about to receive that not only would his experience be changed, but the lives of thousands and thousands of Israelites will also be changed. And that's the incredible thing with God's calling. When God calls you, he reveals something to you, he instructs you, 
He is not giving you something just for you. He's giving you something that will bring freedom to other people as well. Because God's calling is not just some individual experience, just for you to go on your own personal and private adventure. God's calling is always going to be fruit-bearing. And that fruit is not just for you to sit at the base of the apple tree and enjoy the fruit for yourself. God's calling always comes with an invitation for other people to benefit from the calling that he wants to give you. So let's read now. We're just going to read 10 verses from Exodus chapter 3. And then in typical preacher's fashion, uh, I will give you three points. So, verse 1, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which was the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within the bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove your sandals from your feet, for this place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Lots of ites there. So because the Israelites cry for help, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I've also seen the way of the Egyptians who were oppressing them, therefore go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you can lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, before we get into the story there, what came to me when I was reading this week, I hadn't seen it before, although I'm sure some of you have seen it or heard someone say about it before. I thought, what a wonderful kind of precursor, a proleptic picture of Pentecost this is. A fire coming down and being visible, leading people into the presence and the voice of God, but not being consumed. I thought that was a wonderful kind of anticipatory image of what God when he did when he sent flames of fire on the church at Pentecost. But as I said at the beginning, this is about God's calling, not about what this uh, kind of instructs us about the kind of wider picture of Scripture. And what here happens is that Moses receives instructions that was going to set him on a new direction. But this wasn't the beginning of Moses' life. This was roughly halfway through his life. And that's important to know, and I'll explain why. So in order to give you some context, from what we can understand from Scripture, Moses had about 40 years where he was in Egypt being raised in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian. 
he was a man of God being raised in a secular household. There came a point in his experience, in his story, where he saw a soldier oppressing the Israelites and he was indignant at this and he went and he killed the soldier. At that point he realised that his life may be in danger and therefore he escapes from Egypt. He goes into the desert, he gets married, this guy Jethro becomes his father-in-law and he's tending sheep, a great biblical uh, uh, kind of job to have. And then what happens is he has another 40 years while he's in the wilderness himself tending sheep in the desert. And what's happening here is that God is preparing him for what is about to take place. He's spending 40 years tending sheep in the desert. And what God is going to do next is going to be a fulfillment to what he has been prepared for. And so my first point is this. When you want to understand God's calling for you, do not write off the preparation as being insignificant. Because when you don't know the specific calling, you can always be sure that God does and he is not letting anything from your experience go to waste. Even when you don't know why you are doing what you are doing, even when you don't understand the process that is going on, even when you may feel like you're just living in the desert with a bunch of sheep and therefore that is something quite insignificant, just know that when God finally reveals his master plan, it will all make sense. But don't be surprised if you have to wait 40 years waiting in a season that you don't understand for God's perfect timing to release you into something that he's always destined you for. There is always purpose in the preparation and in the waiting. And for Moses, I'm sure he wasn't just twiddling his thumbs, he was hard about his work. Taking care of sheep in the desert can't have been an easy thing to do. Making sure they had stuff to eat. Making sure they had places to drink. They had a nomadic lifestyle. They would have been travelling around. They would have known probably the places to go. And Jethro, I imagine, was fairly experienced and would have helped them to navigate the, the, the desert pathway so they got to the right place for all of the sheep. But in his own experience, he probably felt so far from what he was supposed to be doing that that season was insignificant. But it wasn't insignificant because even though he didn't know what was going on, God always did, and it was ready and preparing time for what God was about to do next. So we must never undervalue the seasons of preparation, no matter how long they are. For Moses, in the desert, it was 40 years. For Abraham, receiving the promise about Isaac, it was 25 years. For Joseph, from when the, he receives his dream to the point where his brothers come and bow down to him in Egypt, in fulfilment of that dream, it was about 22 years. Daniel, sorry, David, it was 15 plus years from his anointing to his appointing on the throne. For Jesus, we know that he was working fairly inconspicuously for 30 years before he is released onto the scene as God's Messiah. So God doesn't see time the same way as you and I. And when you start to get a feeling that God may have something specific for you that you're excited about, the first thing you want to do is get on and do it. You're like, let me add it. If God 
you feel is going to release you into evangelism, you're like, well, let me get the sound system and the speakers ready. We need to go onto the streets today. And that may be the right thing. But don't be surprised if there is a season of waiting that you don't fully understand before the fullness of the calling becomes apparent to you and you see the harvest of that calling. There is often a prolonged season of waiting that God wants to use for his advantage. I remember uh, when I first left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had no real sense of calling. I had left my A-levels slightly early because I was bored uh, with them. I didn't feel I was learning a great deal. It was just a, a bunch of 18-year-olds in a common room playing Oasis songs on a guitar and occasionally going to a class. And it was supposed to be called an education. So I got bored of this in my A-level years and I left. And the first job I got was a hospital porter. Now in my own mind, this didn't kind of carry the prestige of what I hoped my life would aspire to. No one had sat me down at 14 and 15 and says, Dave, if you're really lucky or blessed, depending on your perspective, someday you might be a hospital porter. It wasn't kind of held up there as this kind of vocation that you should aspire to. But looking back now, learning to talk to people in moments of distress, learning to stand with people where, where, where they were either about to go into an operation they didn't know they were going to come out of, or they had, you know, go, had to go for a scan, or they needed to go for some treatment somewhere and they seemed nervous. The small talk that you need to put people at ease, the conversational skills that you needed, all of that stuff was being trained in me. As far as I was aware, I was simply killing time and trying to earn a quick buck in the meantime. Probably in that season of my life because I wanted some flashy stereo for my car. I didn't see some grandiose purpose in it all. But looking back now, knowing what God has called me to once the revelation has come, it all makes sense. So, the point of this part of the story, the point of which uh, we understand God coming to Moses at this stage in his life, is to reassure us that even if the weight is measured not just in months, but in years, if not just years, but in decades. Don't doubt the call of God upon your life. Because God is no liar, he's not confused, he's not impatient or overly patient or too cautious to release you. He's just waiting for the season of preparation to fulfill its potential before he releases you to your full potential. Because the 40 years that Moses experienced with sheep in the desert was about to be repeated by 40 years with God's people, the sheep of his pasture, metaphorically, in the desert. And it all starts to make sense. So we need to trust God's timing. We need to allow ourselves to be patient with God. And we need to recognize that even when we don't see God working, he's doing something because you're just as called at the burning bush as when you escape from Egypt to save your own neck. God is seeing the picture all at once. Every part of it, the beginning, the middle, and the end, as far as God's concerned, has already taken place. He's just allowing time and process and events to happen till just the right moment when you feel satisfied that everything has come together and you are now released to your full potential also. 
But then, nevertheless, he still needs this moment of encounter. For my life, I needed to have a moment of encounter that helped me to understand that my ultimate destiny wasn't helping people on hospital beds get from one ward to the other. And what happened in my life, in my early 20s then, I moved on from hospital portering, I became a customs officer at Manchester Airport, I wasn't helping distressed people get from ward to ward, I was helping distressed people try and you know, navigate their way through the, the customs processes to make sure that they could bring their cheese through you know, the various kind of, uh, 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 administration that needed to be uh, dealt with for imports and exports and so forth. But there came a moment in my early 20s when I can remember it to this day. I was sat in one of the rooms of the church I was at at the time by myself. And I believed God was real. I knew God was real. I believed the gospel. I genuinely believed I was saved. But I had this moment by myself in this room in the back of church waiting for the youth program to begin. I'd gone early just to set out chairs. I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and I just knew God in a new way. Something changed. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't give you a label for it. I couldn't define it in clever theological terminology. All I could say to you is I met with God in a way that I couldn't deny and has changed me for the rest of my life. While I was sat in this room, a room that I had prepared with my own hands, I put the chairs out waiting for the youth meeting. No one else was in the room. God met with me there, and he showed me that wherever you are, whether you're with people, without people, I can come and meet with you at the right time, the right place, and something distinctive happened in me where my affections were changed from me pursuing a career at some point with my life or finding the right vocation, moving from that kind of mindset to a paradigm of, God, you are real, what do you want me to do with my life? Not what do I want to achieve, what do I want to accomplish, what salary do I want to earn. God, my life is yours, you tell me what you want to do to bring you the most glory. And that's the kind of shift that needs to happen. And at this point in the, in, in the story of Moses' life, he has this encounter that changes him. And if we want to be our most earthly good, we need heavenly encounters. You are not going to change the world just doing it in the flesh. At some point, there needs to be a connection between you and God where something so profoundly changes that you know forevermore when you interact on an earthly level that something heavenly has changed in you and set you apart for what is ahead. Because we can understand from the story of what happens next in Moses' life, he isn't going to get Pharaoh to release these people who were his slaves without divine intervention. It wasn't going to be Moses' eloquence. It wasn't going to be his education. It wasn't going to be his skill looking after sheep in the desert that was going to make the difference. In the same way that God had encountered Moses, Moses needed to take the authority, the change, the anointing, the encounter that he has with God and use that as his strength for what was about to take place. Because the chains were not going to come off the people of God without divine intervention. And that requires encounter. So my challenge to you is this, what are you doing about your own encounters with God? What are you doing about your own encounters to God, with God? Now, in this sense, you might kind of argue back, maybe internally, I hope at least, 
verbally, audibly afterwards, perhaps. Well, Moses wasn't doing anything to prepare for this. It kind of just, it happened. He was somewhere doing something, and boom, God breaks in. And sometimes it can be like that. It was a bit like that for me some 25 years ago. But I believe we're living in a different dispensation now. We're living in a new era with God where some of the dynamics of how we can have access to God's presence have changed for us in a way that wasn't open to Moses. Moses was not living in a time and season where the presence of God through the new birth and regeneration of the Holy Spirit could come to live in you in such a way that you carried God's presence wherever you go. Moses came into a moment of encounter in a time and space. But that time and space, as I talked about this being proleptic of Pentecost, this anticipatory glimpse of fire coming down and not consuming, but burning. That we can carry God's presence in ways that we can have encounters with God as we fan into flame what God has already put in us. We are those burning bushes. But we can, through our own devotional life, through our own prayer life, through our own worship, we, don't, we know that worship isn't just about Sunday. You can, there's so much worship material out there. If you've got access to the internet, you can like, fill your boots on worship throughout the week. You can just saturate yourself in whatever style of worship helps you to connect to God. But what we do need to do is to take the opportunities that we have in the week to press in, to get to know God, to try and have those encounters. Not to force God's hand. Not to say that you're trying to kind of wrestle his timing into a place that you feel more comfortable with by just trying to get those holy moments going in the week. You can't force God's timing. But in the meantime, you can still have encounters in his presence until such time as that timing reaches its potential for the next season. You can create your own fires with God. You can create the context and create the time and space in your week where you want to sit with the kind of burning bush in your own worship and prayer and with the word of God, reading, studying, praying, waiting. Asking God, interceding, whatever you need to do. As I said, not to try and force God's hand, but to say, God, when you're ready, here I am, and I already know you, and I'm going to make sure I know you as well as I can, so that when the time comes, everything is set. We get to be those burning bushes. We get to have flames of fire on the scriptures. We get to have flames of fire when you listen to worship, in the comfort of your own home. You can be on the bus, you can have your earphones in, and you can have burning bush moments on the bus. We get to take God's presence. Moses experienced God's presence in a specific location in a specific time, but now God can operate in a way where he can be with you all the time with his burning, with his fire, and with his presence. We have to make sure that in our week we are we are cultivating moments of encounter. So as at such time as God sees fit, he is ready to release us. Final, final point is this, point three. What we know also from Moses' story is that he gets sent back to Egypt. Forty years later, he's going to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful leader 
in the known world at that time who had such exceeding military might, it would have been completely futile, almost nonsense. Well, it was not almost nonsense, it was nonsense in a kind of a, a natural way of viewing the situation, to think you could just stand up in front of this guy and demand the freedom for these slaves. They had economic value for this superpower. They were the slave labor to help the Egyptians create the strength of their empire and use the workers of the Israelites to help them to kind of keep the, the economy ticking along. There's no way this guy's going to let them go. But Moses wasn't going in his own strength. He was going from a position of calling, from a place of anointing, in the power and on the instruction of God. For God, Pharaoh was nothing. He was just a piece of the puzzle. He wasn't strong or weak. He was just a person. The whole might of Egypt was, was inconsequential in the context of what God's power could do. But nevertheless, God doesn't reveal to Moses all of the struggle that was going to take place. He just knows there's going to be some resistance and difficulty, but he doesn't fully appreciate what the next 40 years are going to look like compared to the last 40 years. Because the first 40 years of preparation, the worst thing that he had to face was probably a few coyotes and jackals and, and various other predators trying to attack the sheep. The next 40 years after God had released the people of Israel and Pharaoh had allowed God's people to go, he was going to have to face moaning and complaining and problems and lack of faith and people trying to undermine his authority and people taking authority into their own hands. He was going to have a harder time with the people than the sheep. And sometimes we think, well, when God's calling comes and we've had our moments of confrontation with the powers of this secular world, like our version of the Pharaoh, and we can see freedom and release come to God's people because we're in, we're in a place of callingness now, that it's going to be okay. Well, actually, the battle wasn't in the first 40 years in the desert. The bigger battle was in the second 40 years of the desert. But what Moses had in his encounter was a complete and clear demonstration of instruction that he couldn't deny. So when things got tough and things got hard and things were difficult and people were undermining him and things were seemingly flowing against him when he wanted to flow forwards, things were kind of flowing uh, backwards, that he had this moment of encounter where he couldn't deny that God had spoken. And when we create moments of encounter, we can create the opportunity for God to bring his word with such strength and force that when the testing does come, we can, we can be strong in the dark because we've heard God in the light. And if we're going to survive and fulfill our potential as Christians in the calling of God, in the journey of God, then we need to hear his voice. We need to hear it clear, and it needs to go from our heads to our hearts. It needs to not only get to our hearts, it needs to take root there and bear fruit there, because we're going to need to hold on to that word through the tough times. Because there are going to be seasons where all of us go through moments when it seems like God is absent. And what we have to go on, and go on alone at some times at those points, is what God has said. Because in the absence of what feels like his tangible presence, we have the assurance of his everlasting word. Because if God says it, he will do it. 
God is not a man that he would lie. And he can take you out of obscurity and put you into a place of prominence. He can take you from the Pharaoh's palace through the desert into a place of delivering God's people and he can do all of this and is as assured as if it had already taken place just on the basis of God's word. It doesn't matter if the whole hosts of hell disagree with God's word and want to position themselves against you. If God has said, said it, it will happen. And on the micro level in our personal lives, and Dave talked about this uh, off the back of, of Neil's prophecy, the, the, you know, the, there are times when it feels like the personal vision, the personal dream has died. We, we look at our bank account, we look at our relationships, we look at our friendships, we look at our, uh, our love or lack of love for church and all of those things. Oh, I don't really feel like I like church at the moment or I don't really feel I've got anybody in my corner at the moment or my parents used to support me and now they don't seem so bothered about me. They're prioritizing my sister or my brother or my kids. You know, I'm supposed to be this person when my kids are misbehaving. All of these reasons why it can't happen. And God seems to like that do you know why he likes that? Because he gets to prove himself powerful enough to be bigger than whatever you face. It's almost as if he wants you to be in the moment of greatest weakness before he sends you into the place where he is visibly at his strongest. He had left that 40 years of Moses in the desert so that everything that he had learned, the eloquence, the education, the articulation that he had learned being raised in Pharaoh's household was out of him. Because he's, he was kind of thinking, we're reading into the text now, but assuming that when God's sending Moses back, he said, I don't want you to rely a jot on the flesh or any, in any way try and rely upon your own eloquence to get this job done. I'm allowing 40 years because I'll, I want you to see that it's not about you, it's about me. And so on that micro level, in that personal level, with our hopes, our dreams, the things that God has given us, when you're, you're looking at your bank account, you're weighing up whether you like church or you don't like church, is it better for me? Or would, but, you know, would I, would I, do I need to be at home with YouTube and Joyce Mayer rather than with, 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 with Dave, Dave, Nathan and Maisie? You're kind of, you know, what's, what's best for my life? I, I, all of these things in the flesh, your money, your, your friends, all of that stuff, and it doesn't seem to add up to destiny. If God has said it, it will happen. He wants us to believe his word. It's on the point of his integrity that it comes to pass. We, we like to hear people that are people of their word. We don't like politicians because they say one thing and they do another. God wants to show you that he is immeasurably different from any form of human leadership you've come across. There is an integrity, there is an authority that comes with God's voice that you will get nowhere else. And he will accomplish things on the basis of his word. He can speak the universe into existence. He can for sure get you to where you need to go. But we need to be people who rely upon his word. So that's Moses' journey. We've just taken three things there. But there was a a season before the encounter, there was the encounter, and then there was the ministry with God's people after the encounter. And it summed up in total to about 120 years. Three, fours of 12, 40 years in Egypt, 
40 years in the desert, 40 years leading God's people. That means that he was 80 years old when he received the burning bush experience. Dad, you're just getting going at 83. We're going to get you to start a life group. God's timing, his voice, his authority, it doesn't measure time or experience or situations in the way that we would. It doesn't measure things. It just waits, and it happens on the basis of God's character, his will, and his authority. If God has said it, he will do it. Let's pray. As we pray, I want you to just think about maybe if you have something that you feel that God has spoken over your life or put in your spirit at some point and has yet to take place. It's still what you would regard as future. I want you just to think about that thing right now. doesn't matter how big it is. If you're seeing yourself in your own mind, you know, in stadiums full of tens of thousands of people, great. Hold that thing, whatever it is. We're going to pray for that. But then I'm going to pray for the people after that who, who would say that arguably they didn't know what that calling was. Maybe they thought they did, but they couldn't say with certainty what that thing was. I'm going to pray for you second. So first, I'm going to pray for those that right now can think of that thing they know God's called them to, but is as yet unexperienced. And then I'm going to pray for the people who have yet to receive instruction from the Lord. So let's pray for that first group first. So Father, I pray for all of those who have had your word put in their heart, who've had moments of encounter, maybe strong or not so strong, but definitely it was a moment with you where you began to stir and to change and to impart and to implant something in the spirit of that person that you wanted them to accomplish. I pray that no lie of the enemy will be able to talk them out of doing what they need to do to walk that out. That they would nurture and grow and pray over and cherish in their hearts what you have said with a fresh confidence that God, if you said it, it will happen. Your word will accomplish its instructions. So I pray peace, I pray rest in the waiting and in the moments of preparation where it seems confusing or confusing, or it seems like they're in a season that in no way to their natural mind relates to what they hope you're going to do in their life. That you would reveal your wisdom in this season, your wisdom in this moment. That what you're preparing in them will never be wasted. That there'll be a peace and an assurance as to wait the course, however long that waiting time is required. And I pray now, God, for those who have yet to receive a sense of instruction or calling. There has not yet been an, an awakening to what you have for that person's life, that appointment from destiny, from the throne of God. I pray that, God, that you will speak now and over this week, that there will be encounters, that there will be instruction, there will be stirring, there will be an awakening to certain passions for you and to do things for you that just give clarity to where the path may at some point take them. A path that you have, before the foundations of the world, you had planned for that person. Their 
satisfaction and their joy would be to do that thing for you. God, I pray that you will awaken them for that thing. If not today, tomorrow, and the coming weeks, but I pray that, Lord God, your voice comes clear to them and that you'll help us, Lord God, just to relax into the sovereign purposes of God that will carry us through. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.